Welcome to Buffy Virgin, a spoiler-free Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Uh, we're going to recklessly diagnose you because it's season six, episode seventeen, normal again. I'm your host, cartoonist Center St. John, and this is the rest of the crew. Why don't you guys introduce introduce yourself with the supplies you bring to the basement? Uh, my name is Travis. I think I would definitely bring uh, cold brew coffee. I'm really into it at the moment, and my vinyl records and a record player. That's excellent. My name is John Landis. I would bring the uh, cold brew coffee substitute that I have just recently invented because I'm trying to figure out how to go uh, camping without my camping stove because I want to because it's too much weight. I don't want to take it. So I have recently been experimenting with what happens when you try to make uh, instant coffee with just room temperature water <laughs> and then drink that. <laughs> no one needs not to great. It's not great, but it is coffee. My name is Michael. I've, I'm the Virgin. I've only seen Buffy up to season six, episode seventeen. Basically, never seen Buffy, and I'll bring regular coffee and a Primo coffee maker, and uh, I think like a one board game to rule them all. Monopoly, obviously. Oh my God! No, he'd bring his D and D, and he'd bring a body swap machine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad there's going to be just an excessive amount of coffee, and John will be the only one drinking his brew. <laughs> uh, so I don't ha- I don't have to bring any. All right, let's jump into the summary for this week. The summary. Searching for the trio, Buffy gets stung with some demonic chemical that causes her to hallucinate that she's in a mental hospital where a mysterious doctor with an earring tries to convince her that the past six years of her life has been a hallucination. It's obvious that something is wrong with Buffy, so Xander and Spike hunt and trap the demon that hurt her, and then Willow makes an antidote from its stinger. But everyone forgets to keep an eye on Buffy, who pours the medicine in the trash. While the Scooby gang assumes that Buffy will just get better because she took the medicine, her hallucination doctor is informing her that the only way to get better is by killing her delusions. You know, her friends. So Buffy ties up and drags everyone into the basement, while her hallucination encourages her to release the trapped demon to take care of the killing for her. In the mental hospital in her mind, Joyce encourages Buffy to believe in herself, which Buffy takes literally enough to choose the nightmare reality of Sunnydale, or at least long enough to save her friends and kill the demon. And then while the Buffy in Sunnydale takes the antidote and is saved and reconciled to her friends, the Buffy in the mental institution disappears into a catatonic state. All right, uh, let's do great lines. Great lines. Well, this wasn't a laugh out loud one the first viewing, but the second time, ooh, so good. Uh, in the cemetery, Spike and Xander. Spike says to Xander. Let's not listen to Spike. Might get a bit of truth on you. <laughs> so good. I just like... Spike is this weird Cassandra figure this episode. I mean, maybe he always is, but this episode it felt especially intense. Uh, and I love him hiding the the Buffy relationship. Like, just about to mention it a ton of time, And then, like, just... Well, whatever. He throws that shit on Xander. It's good. It's good. Um, I, of course, loved uh, Willow's line this, uh, this episode where she says... Uh, where she's talking to her uh, a imaginary Tara... And she goes, uh, hi, Tara, how are you? Well, I was wondering if you'd want to go out sometime for coffee, food, kisses, and gay love. And it's just such a heartwarming scene. 
uh, after she runs away. Yes, that's really sweet. Uh, I, I enjoyed uh, Xander's line. Oh, come on, that's ridiculous. What do you think? All this isn't real just because of all the vampires and demons and ex-vengeance demons and the sister who used to be a big ball of universe-destroying energy? <laughs> uh, I liked this exchange uh, between Spike and Xander. It's the same scene that Mike quoted earlier. Oh, balls. You didn't say it was a glarb no gall dash to my neck. That's because I can't say glarb. And then they get attacked. <laughs> <laughs> that one made me laugh out loud. Let's move on to the kill count. The kill count. So, we got one mind-warping demon poke, four friends almost getting murdered, one demon punched in the gut to death, and one car window. Thank you, Travis. So that's the kill count. Let's jump into Weird Noticings of Trivia. Weird Noticings. Uh, and the first thing I noticed this week was that the previously on Buffy is just a highlights reel of misery and suffering. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> this is like... I almost just turned it off. I was just like, no. Uh, I mean, this is like what I think of when I think of season six and how depressing it is. Like, we're right in it, man. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Sunnydale rental market as a zoom in and enhance because uh, Buffy is apparently just going through all of the listed rental properties in Sunnydale and visiting all of them. Or at least all the ones within some kind of parameters, she said. I don't know. She has a printout. But it if said, you like, look, recently rented, right? Yeah, it says new rentals. Yeah, is what uh. it says. Um, but if you look at it, there's some descriptions there, which is, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty uh, mundane sort of just rental uh, descriptions. You know, uh, two bedrooms, one bath plus sunroom, uh, blah, 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 gas stove, you know, stuff like that. Um, but if you look on the uh, left-hand column of it, and it's a little blurry, hard to make out, but I'm pretty sure every single property is renting for $1,300 exactly. Um, so there's apparently... What a weird coincidence. Yeah. I don't know if it's just like, you know, like some kind of landlord cartel is doing some serious price fixing that like every house is $1,300. Um, I did a little bit of... Um, uh, I put it into an inflation calculator. Uh, $1,300, $2,002 are worth about $1,900 uh, today dollars. It seems about right, I guess. I mean, probably a little low for, like, big houses. I mean, for yeah. the big rentals. Um, but Sunnydale is always, always has, you know, worse than other people. Worse than other Yeah, it's, it's a renter's market due to the frequent deaths. Yeah. Well, Buffy's still at the Double Meat Palace. I thought she walked away from that job when Riley showed up to, like, hey, say, you know, hey, yeah. I need you. But obviously someone covered yeah. for her because uh, she's back. And uh, still in this rock bottom double meat world. Yeah. So I just expected her to move on. So I think I lose a prediction point for it. But I was a little bit uh, frustrated about that. I was happy to see Krista Nielsen was back for another episode. She got another paycheck. Thank goodness. <laughs> she's the boss. No one knows who she is. She's from Psych. Right? But she's the boss. She's from Psych, yes. And, and other things. But she's Buffy's boss. Who's like, Buffy, if I didn't know better, I'd say you're on drugs. Sorry, we're all laughing, Travis, because your voice is super deep again. Um, oh, no, that, that can't be it. <laughs> really? I pointed this out when the trio moved to their new basement location, where I was like, why are they in a basement? 
Um, and that's it gets a, a, an actual explanation this week that because they're going underground, they're literally going into a basement. <laughs> and I'm so glad Jonathan pointed out, like, that's a metaphor, you dummies. Um, <laughs> I want to ask, John, are you, did you freak out over the amazing monitors they had, the amazing Mac? I did. I actually put that in my notes, and then I decided it was too boring and geeky to talk about on the podcast. But <laughs> I'm glad you pointed out that they have four Apple Cinema uh, displays. Those are so expensive. Yeah, they were really expensive at the time. And like beautiful too. Like they had, they, it still is beautiful industrial design. Well, it was like the first, I think it was one of the first uh, flat panel screens you mm-hmm. could get that didn't really suck. And it had the uh, special Apple display connector that had power and video in the same thing. So you only had to plug in one wire for your monitor. Pretty cool. Super Super those. exciting. Those were like 700 bucks at least. I don't know. I don't know what they were, but yeah, they were really expensive. It's diamond Apple monitors money. are always outrageous. Uh, so they see Buffy in the monitor that you guys have just described in detail. <laughs> um, and Warren, no, sorry, it's Andrew, uh, summons a demon that attacks Buffy. And that uh, they keep calling him waxy looking. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he looks like a salamander to me. And if you go down to the bottom, I even compared him to the type of salamander I think he looks like. And he's got <laughs> these big like tentacle things. Uh, around his neck and i think they're actually his external gills so i think this dude is amphibious that's cool and so we know he's talk we know he's poisonous or venomous and uh, salamanders are all poisonous and there's like one species that's actually venomous so it makes sense that he's like some sort of big salamander and the difference between poison and venom is the venom is injected through a bite versus poison is through like like being eaten or touching it yeah okay why didn't Buffy immediately realize that this was the uh, trio's house? Because she's been attacked by so many magical creatures that are directly associated with the trio. That's a good call. Yeah, she's just like, oh, weird, unrelated demon attack. I mean, it's also Sunnydale. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was like... They'd have to cross-reference the location of all these monsters, like where they appeared. So she gets Buffy gets stung, and then uh, she's in the asylum or some kind of mental institution and mom and dad are there and wow throw Joyce in the picture and you get my attention like I was yeah. watching the show and then I woke up I was like what Joyce is here like such a cool move to pull off man I mean if you're going to convince Buffy to like well we'll get into the you know the rest of the episode what that's about but such a power move sorry oh, I'm stealing John's comment that's okay yeah I think you said it perfectly <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely just an emotional punch, right? To yeah. see. Well, I, I just Sutherland. like since they killed Joyce, they've had this like ace card to play at any time on the audience and just be like, we know we can do this. And in a way, the longer they wait, the more powerful it is. And so I think it's cool that they kind of did it for what is basically a one shot episode rather than yeah. some major plot point. And I think that I, re- I actually think it works really, really well. I mean, they also bring back the actor who plays. Uh, uh, Buffy's dad, and no yeah. one gives no nobody gives a shit. <laughs> well, I had a negative reaction to him, like Nick <laughs> Summers, you son of a bitch. Well, I barely recognize him, right? That like, guy's uh, a piece yeah. of dirt. That actor, <laughs> that actor is a piece of dirt. I'm sorry. I just I'm kidding. I have trouble separating actors and the and the roles they they play. I mean, he's beneath <laughs> Giles, you know. Like Giles is still higher up the pyramid. Well, of, of course. Responsible I, mean, cert- I mean, certainly. I mean, he has to be. You know, I'm a reasonable person. In fact, Giles has, has really moved up a couple runs ever since he left the show, to be quite honest. <laughs> you can't make a mistake if you're not on screen. 
sorry, I just want to point to, so if you uh, watch the show frame by frame, like I basically do, uh, when uh, Spike gets his groceries knocked out of his hand, first of all, you notice that like, I was noticing Spike carrying groceries, like that's already suspicious, like Spike shouldn't really eat very much, but his uh, groceries are basically cigarettes and whiskey, I think. Um, but when the, the groceries get knocked out of his hand, you can freeze frame it for just a second and see that the brand of cigarettes that Spike has are Morley cigarettes, um, which if you uh, ever watch The X-Files is pretty significant, right? These are the same uh, cigarettes that the smoking man smoked. But then I looked it up on the internet and apparently Morley cigarettes are just in everything. Yeah. But there's one particular prop supplier that just, this is what they do. And that's like out there, that's their stand in cigarettes for everything. And apparently Morley's first appeared in the movie Psycho which is kind of cool. But I do like the idea that there may be uh, a hint that X-Files and Buffy just happen to take place in the same universe. It might explain a few things. Also the same universe as Psycho. Yeah. <laughs> and incidentally, just regular serial killers. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but I feel like we did this investigation like back oh, in Oh, did we? Two. I just forgot. <laughs> I couldn't that tell seems, you what that episode. Seems right. That feels like but... something that would have happened and I would have talked about and then completely forgotten. <laughs> But it's fine, because if you forgot, the audience forgot. So this is new info again. <laughs> you can retell the same story on a podcast at least nine times. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> I like how when Spike finds out Xander left Anya, he two seconds later throws it in Xander's face. Like he finds out, Xander shows up, and then boom, he's like ribbing him about it. Like, yeah, he's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he also couldn't like stay for the whole wedding, apparently. Like, I didn't even see him walk out. It was full yeah, daylight. So it, never made sense. it never made sense why he was there in the beginning. <laughs> full daylight. Good point. Like, is there a tunnel in underneath the church? Probably. <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even think about that last episode. And this episode even has, like, Spike reacting to sunlight a little bit. Like, when he's giving his, like, you just love being a martyr speech uh, to Buffy later on. Like, he even kind of reacts to daylight. And that's like, wait, are we still doing that? <laughs> so uh the doctor does he get a name i mean uh, doctor doctor earring that earring was enormous and it's the only <laughs> thing i could look at and doctors well, can have jewelry and wear earrings and stuff but it was like i don't know it was just very noticeable he had some really big earlobes or something like it was hilarious <laughs> well dr earring he totally nails how I assume everyone thinks about Dawn and it completely worked for me. So I got the, the thing right here. So I'll just read it here. Like uh, Dawn, that's the sister, right? So that's Hank. Hank. The doctor's like a magical key. Buffy inserted Dawn into her delusion, rewriting the entire history of it to accommodate a need for the a familial bond. But that created inconsistencies, didn't it? Buffy, your sister, your friends, all those people who created in Sunnydale, they aren't as comforting as they once were. Are they? They're coming apart. And like, I mean, it's a little bit too far, but the, the like inserting Dawn into your delusion, rewriting the entire history. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I also feel crazy. And then of course, <laughs> I by you guys about it, like everything about this, like resonated. I'm like, yeah, I mean, the fact that Dawn exists, it just, it's such a mess. I and thought like, you were going to try to use the doctor as, um, as ammunition or evidence that Dawn is not a real sister. Cause, cause the guy says, this is not your sister and stuff, but I know that ship is safe. Uh, <laughs> Let's not bring that prediction up again. That's I know. a really good point, Travis. Yeah, that's, I should use that as evidence that she's not a real sister. I have actually it's a like, doctor, a medical doctor, in quotes. from Dr. Hank, Dr. Hank Earring. I mean, <laughs> graduated <laughs> top of his medical class. 
Oh, so here's the deal. Uh, if, a, if a doctor has an earring, most likely if he's a guy, it's a stud, right? It's, a, it's more of a stud than a, than a hoop. That, you have to be all. a stud to pull it off. If you're a stud, then you can, you can wear any. Oh, no, no. Let me tell you, that guy could pull off stud earrings. Like 10 out of 10, that guy could have a giant diamond stud. I'm just saying that's much, that's much more likely what, what that person would, would have in real life. Dude, I actually uh, hated hated this scene just because so brutal. So for me, like you know, uh, like anything that takes place in a mental institute is going to be like a little bit triggering. And they specifically give Buffy the diagnosis of undifferentiated type schizophrenia, which is a real like diagnosis. It means you have like uh, symptoms of one or or two or more types of schizophrenia. So like you're like all right now we're stuck like if you were just in in like a, a magical insane asylum that didn't have any rules it wouldn't like trigger anything for me but like now you're walking into like a world I walk in a lot right you're specifically um, miseducating the public about a real thing yeah so like like one thing the idea that Don can creates inconsistencies <laughs> <laughs> the idea that Don creates inconsistencies and that like that wrecks her like delusion is insane to me because it's like that no one's schizophrenic delusions is like concerned about canonical inconsistencies that makes no fucking sense like really uh and we'll get into it more but it's also like like buffy (laughs) as buffy has like none of the behavioral uh symptoms of like schizophrenia um definitely not in the delusion world which is the world we know like the regular buffy world she doesn't behave like it so there's no way to be you could like be schizophrenic and then behave like a normal person in your delusions because you just don't know what that behavior is and then like i mean sir michelle geller's insane acting is good but it's the acting of somebody suffering in an insane asylum it's not like she didn't like pick up what the mannerisms of somebody like heavily dosed on like meds who has delusions is you know so all that stuff is like triggering for me and we'll talk about it more but like i don't like it and while I was talking, uh, I assume Travis was, somebody was adding zoom-ins, Michael, of these, this earring. Well, the earring was wasn't Super distracting me. Sorry. It, wasn't it was triggering. the only thing I could see. I mean, that was, so if you could Photoshop the earring off and put a stud on there, I assume that's pretty simple to do, right? Photoshop the, uh, the, the hoop off. Yeah. Frame by frame. No problem, dude. For, for Travis, uh, for the TD version. Well, I, I mean, I just, I, listen, okay. Well, I think, I think Dennis, you bring up a lot of great, great points and it's tough because, uh, you know, they bring out the, it, it's one thing to talk about like mental illness with like lay people, like espousing their opinions like Buffy or Willow, but then they bring on like a figure of authority and then they start espousing opinions. That's, that's tough. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, there's so many inconsistencies as you, as you know, Dennis, like, no one is held in, in a mental institution for six years, generally speaking, continuously, yeah. since, since adolescence. That, that's just so highly unlikely. It, it doesn't, I mean, you're more likely to win the lotto than that happening. And the reason is nothing fancy. There's just no money in it. No, there's no one to pay for it. So if anyone was wondering, well, why don't they do that? Well, there's no money for it. No one, they, 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 instead, they want to spend all their money on weapons, right? There was no money for it. I, yeah, I mean, if she was schizophrenic, she would have probably been moved to like like some sort of if she couldn't be out on her own, a group like home, a behavioral health group home, a halfway house, something like that. Uh, yeah, and and uh, yeah, it's all it's all this weird fantasy, 
I guess it's from 2001, so people couldn't really Google what the reality is. So there was like less awareness, which is, I mean, but that's the whole point of Hollywood is you hire experts that give you, well, this, they, you know, that, that, that you know, you'd, you, back then you probably didn't hire anyone to help you out to be like accurate when it comes to, you know, mental health. But now well, you would. Well, I, don't, I don't think they would, this scene would happen like this today, is my hunch. Yeah, I hope not. Yeah. I'd like to see the... I'm actually working on a... The book I'm working on now is going to take place a lot in a halfway house. And like all of the like kind of cliches I see in this episode and in other movies and stuff, I'm like, all right, these are the things I need to avoid. I want to like show a little bit of what like it's really like, even if it's like a monster story, right? Plus, and then of course, there's the ultimate problem that they... Um, that just mental illness is just a, just a delusion, right? Or, you know, like the idea of mental illness can't be its own thing. Like it's always a metaphor for something. And it's like, right. well, sometimes they're mm-hmm. just real problems. You know, it's not a metaphor for anything. It's something that's happening in real, but doesn't affect you like how it affects this person. It's interesting. That's a really good point. The thing that get, happens when you borrow somebody else's reality to be a metaphor for something. I feel like that happens a lot and is, is something that, is not excused by just saying it's a metaphor. It's like, you know, when my brother first was in a, like a behavioral health, health institution, one of the first things he said is like, am I a Batman villain? Cause like, that's like, you know, what he thinks of was like, that's right. what pop culture asylums are is like Arkham. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Gosh. Like that's super sad. Well, I mean, uh, I wasn't triggered yeah. by this. I mean, I'm not trying to like, I'm, you know, run counter to, you know, the reality of how this is presented. I think it works as, for, you know, to, to poke, poke fun at the show though. I obviously the mental health portrayal is off super off. I mean, there might've been another way to get at this like Truman shows type delusion that she's experiencing mm-hmm. where it's like, well, maybe it's not quite Truman show. It doesn't have quite the level of paranoia of, of which I think is like an actual delusion. The Truman show one. You're right. Great points, Dennis and Travis. Um, speaking of paranoia, there's trouble in the trio den. Like paranoia is completely set in for those guys. Like watching that happen, I mean, and them kind of unravel a bit. I mean, it's it's not a surprise to see Warren be a little bit cruel to like Andrew and Jonathan, but like we're really seeing this from Jonathan's perspective from the first moment, you know, for the trio. So it's kind of it's a, kind of a sad environment <laughs> they're in now. Like, which yeah. I, I think was initially like kind of a fun, kind of more whimsical story of these villains is now like, yeah, I don't know, it's kind of sad and scary. Yeah, Jonathan is trapped in like constant abuse. But uh, Magic Doctor is like no gods or monsters, just three pathetic little men who like playing with toys. <laughs> so fucking harsh on these guys. Wait, who says that? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what the doctor says, yeah. <clears throat> Which is like, can we go back? So that speech is, it's kind of meta because it also kind of talks about how the overlying plot line of season six it's definitely not as grand. Like it's it's yeah. a weird meta. Um, I I like when I saw that that triggered me. I'm like, oh my god, are they trying to like lay bare like the criticisms that they knew were coming for season six? Like I was just kind of getting blown away by that. Well, that's where it's like I, it feels like is it the Truman Show? Like what's the level of meta yeah. commentary they're experiencing? Right? Because it's like the show is commenting how stupid and absurd the show is about itself. Well, like. Buffy would rather be on this other show where she has a regular life. Is it like this meta commentary where she's choosing to like maybe be done with Buffy and move on to be in movies, right? Is that the meta commentary? 
I mean, I don't know if it's that specific, but I think that, yeah, I think you're right. That, that like they're what the writers are interested in doing. What, one of the reasons and what I like about this episode is they're interested in making some sort of pomo point about the nature of narrative and the nature of fantasy and the nature of reality. Like they're trying to they're trying to do that kind of like Twilight Zone thing. Uh, I think that, yeah, mental illness is a, is a convenient uh, cartoonified metaphor that they're 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 simply using as um as raw material to make that point right they don't they don't have any interest in in that as such like you said travis like they, they they're just using somebody else's reality as their metaphor if if they used something else it wouldn't have triggered me right if it was right. like and i I, but, I think that there's a little bit of like i think there's a little bit of teasing the audience a little bit or like uh the the stereotype about fans of fantasy shows are that they are doing it as pure escapism because their real lives aren't good enough, right? Ooh, yeah. that, you know, and to some extent, the trio is a, also a parody of like geek culture, right? Or like certainly could be a very apt one, but like, um, so I feel like there's a little bit of like the of the show, not like calling out its audience, but certainly challenging its audience and saying like, why do you like this? This is nonsense. Right, I feel like is, <laughs> and I like that about that. Like that's what I, that's what I like about that move. I think I think that that I think it's funny and it's savvy and it it doesn't it assumes that the audience is smart enough to be okay with that or smart enough to see that for what it is. I don't know. I I, I like what you're saying, John. I'd say the the trio to me is like is less geek culture. Although at the time I would use the phrase like geek or nerd culture. I think that like it's more of a gamer culture now. Like I I feel like geek geek and nerddom is way way more socially acceptable, but then you get into these, well, because they do play video games. That's why I would say gamer. I've got to say the trio just is a really weird, malevolent, I mean, I, Andrew was just so excited to summon that demon to to harm Buffy. Like, he was excited to, to blow that, you know, that stromboli or whatever it's called. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm not sure what the name of that is, but that... that Didgeridoo? That, didgeridoo. There you go. Didgeridoo. But, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, and Jonathan was kind of really, really looking evil too. I mean, it's really hard to have sympathy for these, these nerds anymore. It's very yeah. strange. Like the, they, they kind of want you to still laugh at them, but like, I'm not laughing. And I haven't been laughing at these guys since they committed their like minor crimes, let alone that murder. I mean, it's just, it's a weird, I don't know. But they're still playing it for ch- for yucks. And it's like, no, this is not funny guys. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting how like terms like incel and men's rights activists didn't really exist when this movie, when this episode was being made. But like, that's what we're dealing with now. That culture was still there; it just didn't have the these labels yet. And that's what we're seeing with them. And it's disgusting. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. On a much lighter <laughs> note, <laughs> uh, on a much much lighter note, I really enjoyed that the trio make a reference to uh, Ken Russell. I think Warren says, uh, you know, she's going to be tripping like a Ken Russell film festival, uh, which is, I mean, yeah, a Ken Russell film festival would definitely be a real trip and uh, departure from reality situation. Uh, I, I saw that. I, I, I heard that. That I was like, oh, I'm so happy for Dennis. That, uh, Ken Russell <laughs> got somebody, called out. Can He's somebody educate that. me? <laughs> Ken Russell uh, directed, I guess probably his the most famous most famous for is Tommy, the uh, the Who movie. Tommy. He also directed, um, which I I, w- I would not recommend that be the first one you watch. I would recommend that you watch Altered States if you're going to watch a Ken Russell movie as your yeah. first one. Demons awesome. also amazing. Women in Love, less trippy. The White Worm. Yeah, Layer the White Worm. <laughs> totally Good. underappreciated movie. <laughs> if you ever wanted to see like a like a sort of a dragon nun sex orgy movie that's the one most intense strap-on 
ever. Um, <laughs> so that Buffy's real life revelation that her parents put her in some sort of institution when she was like 15 or 14 was like pretty, I know you're getting into that maybe in uh, themes, John. So that's a yeah. big like revelation in this episode. Uh, I'm probably not getting into that into, into themes. Um, so feel free to get into it yourself. <laughs> get into it yourself. I mean, <laughs> it just really changes like what Buffy's history is because like before the show began, we kind of always assumed it was like a structure similar to the Buffy movie, but like with her younger and stuff like something, you know, we've seen a little bit of flashbacks of what it was, but like we didn't see the scene where Joyce locks her up. And it, it really reminds me of how, like, we love Joyce now and everything, but, like, how rough she was with Buffy at the beginning, you know, and how unaccepting she was of Slayer, of Slayer Pride. This, I mean, this whole episode, if you see it through the lens of someone who's previously had um, a medical diagnosis, um, in this case, it was like a, if we go with a, a false, not a, not a real diagnosis, but still, um, you know, that PTSD can happen if you have a heart attack, if you have a major surgery, you know. So Buffy is basically um, living out PTSD, like that, whatever that sting by that hallucinogenic material, you know, induces like the worst case of PTSD you could probably could ever imagine, right? That, that's like one, one thing that they didn't, like that was definitely not their intent. Their intent was definitely not to address ideas of PTSD, but like that would be seriously probably what's going on if you had to say one thing or another is that this person's, you know, I mean, just completely being, you know, affected by that poison or hallucinogen or whatever. But like, to me, that's what makes the most sense of an an overarching theme. But again, it's not about PTSD. It's about the metaphor. So, but I think that's to me, rationally, what would make sense. Well, speaking of PTSD, right? Like Buffy doesn't want to go back to normal, right? The episode's called normal again. Like, she wants to be in the institu- mental institution. <laughs> well, you could say that she place. wants to go back to how things were before she was even in the first mental institution, right? Yeah. And, I mean, uh, and deny, deny the reality. To me, that was like, of all the like, like fake insane behavior, like that was the only really real realistic behavior of mental illness. The whole episode is Buffy refuses to take her meds. I mean, in this yeah. take case, it's like a cure tea, <laughs> but it's like, it made me feel like Willow and Spike clearly have no experience taking care of someone with mental illness that they like let them take their meds unsupervised. I would have been on that. I would have been like, all right, let's just, we can keep talking, but drink the tea. That's awesome. I, I, I didn't, I, that, that's interesting that that like was a trigger for you. Cause like, I, I was a little bit surprised that Buffy made that choice, but I didn't even think about the responsibility of her friends to like ensure that she actually consumed it. But like, cause they, they're, you know, pretty naive yeah. aspect in this episode, but they kind of need to be in order for this to get pulled off to do this episode. And it really shows in the scenes where Buffy hunts her friends, which is like, and Dawn, right. Which are awesome scenes of like Buffy completely inverting. And I, I like them. I like these scenes so much because you as the viewer are really in on it and you can really enjoy the turn, the twist where they don't know her friends and family don't know what Buffy is, where she is mentally and what she's planning. But like we know and like just seeing that pay off like three times and then like her like releasing the monster <laughs> to kill them like it's really um it's really intense but it's also like kind of pleasurable also to just see it pay off since you know kind of how horrible this is 
and like even some of the cut choices are great where it's just like cool cut to the basement cut to them in the basement like when buffy's on top of dawn like maybe choking her out killing her and you're like oh shit they like release the pressure but then increase it because they release it by putting her in the basement and then tying her up and then they intensify the pressure again with like the release of the monster i just think the pacing of this sequence of like hunting the friends and family is so good because it's like it really pays off there's some there's some issues in, with it in some ways, but like in general, I'll just like I love that pacing. I mean, Tara just showing up to get tripped down the stairs. Uh, I feel like that's like the number one fear when you're walking to, down those type of basement fe- stairs, right? Is like somebody grabbing you from behind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's rough to Didn't see. She it grab her legs. Happened. Didn't she like yeah. grab her legs? And I, I would say that that seeing how the end the end scary scene at the end, I would have preferred for the monster to be smaller. Um, so that it would be more of a, like, it was almost, the monster was almost too big. Like I thought like, oh, this is going to kill Xander, Willow, all those very quickly. Like I would have preferred a slightly smaller monster that was more skittering. And then like, 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 like a little bit like a, a lamprey, uh, like a little suction, like, you know, it doesn't kill you very fast, but like it's, it's, it's sucking the blood out of your skin and stuff. Like I would have, that would have heightened attention. Cause it was like, Xander is already pretty defenseless. And then he's like, He's like, you know, tied up and he's still kicking and all of a sudden he's super Xander. I'm like, no, this guy's a wuss. <laughs> Anyways, that was my two cents about the, the I mean, size of the That just shows all the inconsistencies in the Buffy world, you know? Probably not real. <laughs> I do feel like the setup for it is just insane to me that the doctor would tell, doctor and Joyce would tell Buffy to like kill her delusions. Like, that's not how it works. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that feels like uh, Counselor Troy advice. I mean, but like, like the number one thing you say is like not to challenge delusions, right? Like, not like let's direct, let's like attack these things head, head on, and like these imaginary family have fucking yeah. murder them, stab them yeah. good. <laughs> like, the problem with your delusions is that they're not violent enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's all. I'm just like, what the fuck. <laughs> well, I gotta say, I was a little concerned that they were gonna hold on to this idea for a few more episodes. So I'm glad that this episode was just it, like they completed the story and Buffy drank the tea or whatever at the end and like things get resolved because like I did not want this to be the story of the rest of season six was that Buffy just like wants to kill her friends and family. Yeah, I do hate the kicker this week. The the like let's end it in the asylum with Buffy going full catatonic and that's the end. Cause that always leads to like assholes being like the whole show just takes place in a mental Institute. Right. And I just, I hate that view of fiction. That's like, you know, there's people with the like dark takes on like adventure time. Like, Oh, it's really about this kid in a coma. I hate those kind of takes. And I hate that Buffy like gave people that ammunition. So anyway, I'm not a lot of fun this episode. Cause I'm like, <laughs> That's all I got. Do you guys want to move on to questions? Questions for the group. I mean, did you ever have the the Truman Show fantasies when you were a kid? I know I did. Um, My specific one was that I thought that probably uh, I was an alien and that uh, I was the only non-human that I knew. I remember having that fantasy and how I just not... Remember thinking as a, as a child, like, if that's true, there's really doesn't, you know, it's nothing I can do to prove or disprove it. Interesting. You guys never had those kinds of like, uh, I'm probably the only one fantasies. I don't know. I mean, I remember having an idea of like, what if my parents are robots? Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Uh, 
but I don't think I dwelled on it very much. I tried to write a comic about it once, but it didn't really work out. I remember thinking my parents weren't my parents sometimes. Like they couldn't be. <laughs> like it couldn't possibly be <laughs> my parents. I... <laughs> Oh man, I, I think I had two, well, two strange things. One, when I was a kid, I, I thought that I didn't look too much like my dad. Um, but then I, I, I look extraordinarily like him now. So, because I was, I was like a foot, almost, I'm not a foot taller than my dad, but I'm like, I'm like eight inches taller than my dad. So it's, it was a bit strange because I towered over him when I was a kid. Anyways, I think, so I don't really have that, but I do remember um, a time in my 20s when I, I, I told you guys a story many times before that. At a time in my twenties, when I woke up and um, and I thought I was I thought I was dead, and it was just a uh, it was just a really bad morning, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, that was a strange time. You wake up feeling, you know, thinking or believing that you're dead. Um, that was very strange. Um, so, but nothing like nothing like this. Have you guys been having coronavirus nightmares? Yeah. Like no. Hmm. Like I had probably the one of the most intense lucid dreams I've ever had a couple nights ago. Bro. And I was just uh, literally, I was like, this seems crazy how intense that lucid dream was. And then I looked online and it's like, are you having coronavirus lucid nightmares? I'm like, fucking New York Times calling out this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've had recently just dreams about maps because I've been staring at maps constantly. So I've had dreams where like, just it's just the fire map I stare at expanding. Um, but my most my like most intense dream I had recently was just Tina Fey telling me I wasn't funny. That's heartbreaking. I was man. like, "What the f-? Tina Fey? Oh, God. That, that would be really rough because you're kind of like well, you're not kind of like you are a professional humorist, cartoonist person." <laughs> oh, okay. I had a great nightmare recently, and um, it was a nightmare where I was working in the hospital, and um, it was like a hospital. I had this hearing. Oh no, God, that would be the magical earring, dude. Dude, trust me, if I got an earring, it'd be a stud, okay? And <laughs> there's, there's so many good reasons for it. I'm sorry, I brought it back up. First off, there's a lot of good reasons. It's not going to get tangled. I mean, the thing you got to realize is that, is that would get tangled. Anyways, side note, alternate note. So I was in, having this dream where I was working in the hospital, but it was, a, it was a hospital that I didn't know the map of. And we had a list of patients that, we were, you know, that, I, that I needed to see. But as the days would go on and on, I would get lost in the hospital and I wouldn't get to see my patients during the day. Like I would like, I mean, it obviously was telling me something subconsciously, but it was like a horrible dream and it lasted for hours. Like it was like the most unrest. And you know what I had to do the next day? Woke up from that dream, had to go see patients, but not <sighs> in the hospital. So, and I knew where I was. So, but it was like the most rest lack of, I mean, it was an awful dream. I'm like at 3 a.m. I was like, why should I even try to go back to sleep? <laughs> I was like, this is not good. I don't like this. So I watched YouTube for an hour on my phone and then fell asleep for a few hours. <sighs> Dude, I mean, my coronavirus nightmare, I say coronavirus, didn't have anything to do with the virus, except I'm, so I was just searching for my wife for like, felt like hours just wandering around into different people's houses and stuff. Like I was just allowed to go places, but every room was connected to another room almost. It was like just endless rooms. You know, just, but there was no, like, I couldn't go back the way I came because the rooms didn't match up when I came back through. And the whole time I'm thinking, like, this isn't a dream. It has to be. And I remember asking someone on the street, I'm like, how do I get, I'm trying to find this person. How do I get around? And they, like, gave me directions, but they didn't, they didn't work. And it was just like, I felt lost. I never felt so lost before in a dream. And then I found one friend I knew, my friend Mike, I haven't seen in years, but he had, like, 
his arm had been, he like was had like just a chunk for an arm. And I was like, B saw what happened. He's like, Oh, I went to one of those protests. You know, I'm never going to be the same again. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're never the same. And then like, I hung out in his, I was just hanging out in his apartment, kind of looking around and stuff. And then like his girlfriend came over and they had sex and I was there the whole time. I'm like, it just was such a demented, but so like, I remember it all. Right. That's oh. the thing. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> New podcast idea. Not Dreamcast, even. the next generation. Dreamcast. Oh, even has a name. <laughs> all right. That might go into. I'm, on, go I'm on fire today. Three new podcast ideas. All right, let's do themes and deep stuff before we get into new podcasts. <laughs> deep stuff. So, I mean, I think the themes and deep stuff I wanted to get into, we talked a lot about in Weird Noticings and Trivia, um, about like media representation of mental illness. And, you know, this one, this episode, like, directly associates mental illness with violence. Like Buffy gets, you know, a schizophrenic diagnosis and that same episode tries to murder all her friends. And, you know, that's just not the case. I mean, uh, you know, people with mental illness are much more likely to be the victims of violent crimes than perpetrators, you know, and I'll say my brother is completely nonviolent. Like that's the one aspect of Buddhism he's like uh, held on to. And I also just tag on and first of all, you know, your brother was always pretty nonviolent even before this happened to him as well. Or it felt like, but yeah, I feel like he's really, he's really held on to his Buddhism, which is really interesting and great, actually, to be quite honest. I just want to tag on and say, I, I'm, I'm frustrated for all the media depictions of the mental, of, of mental illness, but also like the false sense of security that this episode made. There is no amazing uh, psychiatric facility that will keep you for six years. That doesn't exist. So this, this episode breeds a false sense of security for the mental health safety net in the United States. Oh. It has been completely defunded since the 1970s. That none of this, I mean, that's the least real thing. The least real thing about this episode is the hospital. Hands down. Vampires might be real. That, uh, that salamander demon is more likely to be real than, that, than what happened to Buffy in that uh, <laughs> mental health uh, psychiatric facility. That is not a real thing. None of that's real. It should be. And you need to vote with your wallet and uh, vote to change that. But this is a false sense of security, people. Uh, we have to say that. Yeah, thank you, Travis. Yeah. Uh, John, do you want to talk about your Moss proposal? Or Yeah, uh, I mean, so this is, uh, I put this in Themes and Deep Stuff because Themes and Deep Stuff was empty at the time. So uh, after uh, these excellent points, I feel a little silly talking about this here, but uh, I'm going to because I'm going to. Hey, we're, we're highbrow, uh, lowbrow here. That's right. So this would definitely be a bit highbrow, lowbrow. Um, so I want to start off by mentioning that. Um, so back in 2013, Joss Whedon did a run of uh, Astonishing X-Men. And at Comic-Con that year, or uh, yeah, at Comic-Con that year, he made he, he was apparently was talking about an idea that he had that didn't quite make it into the comic, which was that he was going to have Cyclops mention that his cousin, Buffy Summers, was in a mental institution and thus placing the entire Buffy universe within the X-Men Marvel universe, which is a, like all kinds of things. So I wanted to uh, hijack the podcast and read into the record my idea for the next Buffy movie, you know, may inevitably happen just because of what our culture is like. So to start the film off, the, uh, the sort of the threat uh, in the film is that uh, Deacon Frost has returned from the dead <laughs> 
and he's working with uh, the scientist uh, Michael Morbius, and he's hatched a plan to uh, you know raise an ancient vampire god from another dimension known as the Master. And uh, their plan is shockingly working, and a plague of vampirism is uh, threatening to destroy the world. That's sort of the threat in the film. Um, so Dr. Morbius, though, however, since he's a man of science, right, he eventually rejects Frost's uh, apocalyptic plan. And uh, when he, once he fully fathoms the implications of an entire planet full of vampires. And uh, so he seeks out help from his friend and fellow scientist, uh, Dr. Henry McCoy, in uh, defeating Frost. Some of the details of the situation, uh, particularly the behavior of these new vampires, a little bit different uh, than the way vampires have normally worked in this universe. Uh, it all sounds a little familiar to Cyclops because he has a cousin who has similar sorts of delusions, particularly this master character sounds really familiar from some of the, the babbling that his, uh, his cousin has done that he's aware of. In visiting Buffy Summers in uh, a Los Angeles mental institution, um, Professor Xavier is able to read her mind you know, well enough to know that there's something going on in there, but she's too far gone, she's too deep, she's in a fully vegetative state, and uh, he needs to be able to interact with her uh, in order to get key information uh, to defeat the army of vampires. And of course, uh, you know, doctors uh, Morbius and McCoy uh, would like to go along for the ride uh, in order to interview uh, Buffy and the gang in order to you know, find out what's going on. But they just don't have the technology, right? Um, you know, it's possible for uh, Dr. Uh, Professor Xavier to uh, enter uh, Buffy's mind, possibly, but it's a da too dangerous to be like a one-man mission. Um, plus, like, we don't think that, uh, you know, Professor Xavier, he's kind of more of a humanities guy. He's not going to be able to relay the important scientific information back uh, out. So they need a technology in order to um, allow multiple people to visualize and enter this world. And they need a technology that also has some, like, built-in safeguards. Right. So Professor Xavier thinks, hang on a second. Why don't I contact uh, my friend and colleague, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, uh, who I think has such technology. Now, you'll remember that, uh, of course, that they've met that uh, the crew of the Enterprise D met the X-Men in the comic book crossover, which was amazingly titled. Uh, it took place just after Star Trek First Contact. It was amazingly titled Star Trek slash X-Men Second Contact. He makes contact with Picard. Picard's a little reluctant to further distort reality, uh, you know, past this initial contact, but he eventually agrees to visit the uh, X-Men verse. I don't know, maybe Doctor Strange has to help out to make this happen and make this possible in order to lend them holodeck technology so that they can create Sunnydale, uh, connect the holodeck technology to Cerebro, to Buffy's mind, and create Sunnydale so that um, the, uh, an away team can enter Sunnydale in order to gain the important scientific knowledge to stop the uh, vampire apocalypse. So uh, an Enterprise Away team accompanied by uh, a select uh, a small team of X-Men enter the holodeck and they're, bam, they're in downtown Sunnydale at the espresso pump to be continued in the next film. Wait, to be continued? That's, yeah, that, that's, that's just the that, first film. Yeah, that setup was going to take an hour Good and 15 Lord. minutes. <laughs> wow. But I'm on board. Honestly, like I was but I was typing montage. this up, and as soon, as soon as I got as soon as I got Star Trek characters into Sunnydale, I stopped because that's all I care about making happen. The rest, I don't. <laughs> uh, that's really impressive, Judd. That's like that Patton Oswalt. Yes, that was definitely an inspiration. <laughs> have you have you seen that? There's like a full like 40 minute version of that. <laughs> I'm proud of you. That was great. Yeah, that definitely belongs to deep stuff. Uh, <laughs> John, I'm sorry that this movie will only happen if there's an X-Men Lego movie. <laughs> yeah, it does sound a little bit like, an, like it could be like the best Lego movie ever. I mean, 
the sad thing is until you get to star trek characters it's all like doable because it's all uh, a yeah. disney franchise like, yeah yeah then it gets a little self-indulgent i mean <laughs> picard shows up i'm a little bit like oh i didn't see that coming oh wait you guys need to know a little i bit know exactly he was referencing the holodeck director. like I, it was just it was like an amazing thing where he was just saying all the code words and i just knew what it all meant and i knew mike didn't and i'm like oh this is all about the holodeck the thing is, the danger room is basically a holodeck, so you can't. Yeah, cut that the, part. no, actually, I put that in my notes. There's no way the danger room is going to cut it. Danger room doesn't have the safeguards. It doesn't have the uh, specific ability to, um, you know, visualize something that's from somebody's inner mind. We know that the holodeck can do that from the episode Phantasms. Well, I mean, it's pretty easy to set up Cerebro through the danger room. The danger room has Shi'ar technology now. Oh, I'll does it? Gosh, yeah, it's all. If you, re- especially if you read um, Joss Whedon's run on Astonishing X Men, he basically makes the Danger Room into the holodeck. Uh, oh, okay. Let's move on to recommendations. Recommendations. So I am going to recommend the 1963 Sam Fuller movie Shot Corridor. Really good really enjoyable movie takes place in like an insane asylum. It's um, a reporter goes undercover into one um, to solve a murder, I think. And then, but uh, the treatment and everything makes him go insane. And the movie's black and white, but it follows these people with different mental illnesses. And when they have their moment of clarity, the movie suddenly erupts into moments of color and it's like amazing. So I think there's a criterion release of that movie. It's, it's a really good movie. And then moving into not as good, I'm going to recommend the uh, Cult of Chucky, which is the last of the original Chucky franchise. And it's maybe my favorite Chucky movie of all time. Um, takes place in an insane asylum. Um, the survivor of the last one, played by Fiona Dorf, who's the daughter of Brad Dorf, who's the voice of Chucky throughout the franchise until Mark Hamill. She survived the first one, and now she's in this asylum. And um, more Chucky dolls keep showing up. And it's freaking her out. And uh, I won't spoil the ending, but it's crazy. It's so good. Um, Not as good, but worth mentioning because it's like almost the exact same plot is the John Cusack movie Identity. Uh, Actually, like this is one of those, like this fits exactly what happened this episode. So that's why it's a wreck, but I kind of hate it. It's uh, a guy with DID uh, and one of his personalities is a killer. So he's like his non-killer persona has to like do a whodunit to figure out who the other ones are to, so he can murder that persona. Cause that's what the doctor need. That's what the, in the real world, that's what the doctor needs him to do is so that he doesn't get the electric chair that night. It's fucking like stupid. I also feel like just recommending Terminator too, because the Sarah Connor in uh, suffering her delusions is like the same as Buffy of like, no, this isn't how delusions work. They don't get that specific and fantastical. So anyway, those were my recs, and I know other people have some. I guess my recommendation is the entirely unrelated Ocean's Eleven movie, the remake, only because it's referenced by the trio with a, with a vault heist, which was so silly. That is such a good movie. Um, I would like to recommend Frame of Mind, the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, which has a very similar premise, but it doesn't have the guts. Uh, I know, Dennis, you didn't care for it, but it doesn't have the guts to end the same way, where I love, you know, this episode, it obviously it, it ends on, in the um, the Insane Asylum universe. Of course, the Star Trek uh, episode pushes out a little bit and ends in the Enterprise universe, but uh, Frame of Mind, 
Although actually, maybe the better recommendation would be the string of uh, Deep Space Nine episodes where, because uh, in oh. of mind, he wakes up in the in it's still in space, right? He wakes up in a you know, he's still in this, the general universe, but in that uh, Deep Space Nine episode, uh, what I can't remember what it's called, he wakes up in the real world in the sixties. Yeah, that's a actually that was going to be my Rex, and then I forgot about it because it's a series of episodes. Yeah. So the setup is Sis, Benjamin Cisco, the captain of DS Nine and the Defiant. Uh, he's um, got mental superpowers basically because he's connected to the wormhole aliens or the prophets. And he starts to have delusions that he's a sci-fi writer in the sixties trying to write deep space nine. And so it's just better because it's not about an insane asylum. It's instead about uh, segregation and sci-fi. It's about racism and sci-fi and racism in the sixties. It has a really strong ending and stuff. And then like a season later we go back to it and the character Benji that he like Benny, Benny, Benny Russell. Benny, yeah. The, uh, the episode is far beyond the stars. That's it. Has been in like an asylum since that episode because he can't let go of the DS nine delusion. Um, yeah. That's a much better episode series of episodes than this Buffy episode. <laughs> <laughs> right. We just said it so many times Truman show. So Truman show yep. is like held up. It's still excellent. It didn't, if anything, it like the, the idea of being watched all the time, which, which at the time I'm sure like all the commentary was about like, Oh, our reality TV show, you know, obsessed universe. But like, I think we've gone even deeper down the hole of uh, self idolatry and uh, narcissism, where the Truman Show kind of problem, problem or promise, like just hits even harder now. And that, is that the film that basically broke Jim Carrey? Because it seems like that was the moment where he got weird. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I mean, he's definitely weird, right? Like, you've he's seen definitely that? weird now. <laughs> I, I watched a really awesome interview with him recently. It was uh, it's one of those acting interviews, you know, post James Lipton, right? So it's okay. like, we're not sure how these work now. And it was him and I believe, gosh, who's Bruno and uh, Borat, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. And like oh, super interesting to have the two of those guys in a conversation together. And like Carrie's perception, he's like wishes he could be as funny as Sasha Baron Cohen because that's like he's on another level. Because like Carrie is seen every like he's he is in the Truman Show basically. It was this interesting contrast of like Carrie trying to make himself seem like he's a normal person, but you don't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) But also seeing him crushing hard on someone who's a better comic than him, or or he thinks that he is. I don't know where he's at. Uh, He's had that problem since the like early '90s because he broke so hard so fast. Right. right? Uh, Do we do where at the end or? before oh sorry yeah let's do where do we go from here where do we go from here yeah let's go to what do we do after buffy okay so one of them was um you know we would we would take uh an animal uh a species uh week by week and each of us would come up with our own version of what a crypto and like a mythic version or a crypto version of this animal would be. So we take like a, some weeks it would be a frog, other weeks it would be a trout, uh, a wolf, um, a spider. And we'd come up with this mythic version of the animal, like what we thought would be cool about it and uh, what would make it cool and, and things like that. So that, that's one idea. Oh, yeah. uh, your idea reminds me of a uh, game that I sometimes play with my partner where uh we will, uh, one person brings up a Wikipedia article on an animal and you read out the Wikipedia article 
as much as you can without giving away what the animal is, but you just give as many details like, oh, it's got a tail this long and it has claws and, you know, you just give all the details with the animal. And the other person has to do a drawing of an animal mm. that has all that features, but not knowing what it is. Ooh, and then like you look game. at it's a super fun game. It's really, really fun. You end up with really crazy drawings of like monsters. So it reminds me of that. I like that game if we played that and then Dennis did the drawings and then yeah, we all like, like a real artist. Yeah. <laughs> not not me. Not me at all. <laughs> like some kind of animal pictionary, cryptid pictionary. Yeah. I know yeah. that sounds fun to me ish, but like I feel like I would want to do that a couple of times. I don't know if I'd want to do that yeah. every week. You don't want to do that every day for like five years. <laughs> it just seems like a fun, like kind of one-off game idea to play with. I mean, it sounds like I like monster podcasts and I listen to some cryptid podcasts. Uh, so it feels right up my alley. And I think it's something we could like, that could be the initial setup, but we could do variations of, of like, let's do like, let's take real cryptids and try to deconstruct them. As, mm-hmm. as the reverse, yeah. Make them into uh, normal animals. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so like if a, uh, you know, if a minotaur is a wolf or is it wolf, what, is a, uh, is a bull man, then a, uh, what is a chupacabra? Well, actually it's a, and then you have to decide what the constituent animal elements are. Is that what you do? Is that, <laughs> yeah, is that the game you you're like, imagining? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. Like, yeah, let's see, let's figure out what a chupacabra could really be. Um, what mm-hmm. are it's like, yeah, real genetics or something. I know I had another idea, but I forgot it already. Outside of the fire thing, which is crazy. What was the third one? There was one more. <laughs> Wait, the it fire one. The fire you, thing. You, you haven't mentioned the fire thing. No, it's Will a whole I podcast. Will I die by fire? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> .com? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that one is that one's intense. I mean, yeah. I mean, you could have a podcast where you, where you talk about how you would like to, you know, the ways that you are afraid to die and the ways that you are not afraid to die. It's called scared death and unafraid death. You know, I don't know what you could call it, but you know, where some things are are scary to you and, and other ways are not. <laughs> That's a dark podcast idea. I like it. <laughs> like what? Yeah. Some people like their number one fear is like drowning. Other people yeah. might be like, I don't, I'm not sure what the big deal about drowning is. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think we have what I think we have our idea for this week. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> What was All the right. name of the Invent a Monster Animal podcast? Do we have a name for that? We don't yet. Not yet. Cryptionary. Oh, <laughs> that's a good one. That, that's the best. That's a good one for John's game for sure. But that's a great name in general. Uh, you guys want to move on to predictions? Yes. Virgin predictions. So, Michael, let's uh, do a little recap of your score here. Uh, your uh, overall accuracy is currently at a 63.97%. And your uh, accuracy for this season, uh, this is still your second most accurate season at 72.73%. We shall see how you fare with today's episode. So, rolling the tape all the way back to Season 5, Episode 2, Michael predicted only these words. They are still in the dream with two exclamation points. So I think, uh, you know, the reference here is to the dream in um, Restless that episode. Yeah, in Restless, uh, that at some point will reveal that they're still in the dream. Although this seems quite, pre- this is a super prediction, by the way. It seems quite prescient, um, actually. Uh, I, I'm kind of inclined to confirm this one. The definite article, The Dream, 
makes me a little bit less, you know, feel like it's a little bit of a cheat. If he had said there's still an A dream, it would be, I think, easy. But um, I, I'm I, I'm still leaning towards confirming this yeah. one. I mean, I think just even though they are not in a dream, Buffy's reality is the reality of the Buffy verse. The kicker right. of this episode is that Buffy is in an asylum in a catatonic state. Right. So like by the rules of like, like that's what we saw on screen. Like, I feel like we have to like accept it, even though I hate it so much. So I bet you did not expect this to come up when you, even when you made this. Confirmed. I thought it'd be rejected. <laughs> But I accept this confirmation that they are in the dream and that is a legit interpretation of the show now because of this episode, because it ends with Buffy in the catatonic state. Therefore, that is what's real, the last scene. So that is your first super prediction uh, was confirmed. First one of this episode. Uh, And then here we have another super prediction. Season five, episode 21, Michael predicted that Buffy and Joyce together in a scene in another episode. I think we have to confirm this one too. I could make the argument that, you know, maybe this isn't really Joyce. It could be a figment, but I don't think that I, that's, I think we would have like, it's just as Christine Sutherland is the important thing. Yes, I agree. I think that's confirmed. That's crazy. That's two supers confirmed right in a row there for you, Michael. When you predicted that, I did not remember if that was going to happen or not. Yeah. I mean, but if we confirm those ones, I think we have to deny this one, which is from season six, episode seven, Michael predicted that Buffy does not see a therapist in season six. Oh. If Joyce is real, then the therapist is real. Well, I don't know if that dude's a therapist, right? What is he? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, therapist is a pretty broad term, right? I guess like, you're right. It is a broad term. Wait, you're going to reject it? <laughs> yeah, you, you said Buffy does up. not see a therapist. Season six still has more episodes. Do you, wait, do you, this she does see a therapist. Your, your prediction was that she does not see one. She has seen one. It's in season six. That's the therapist? The airing man? Yeah. yeah. He's a mental health professional that yeah. she is treating her. I don't see it. doesn't yeah. seem to be in any way ambiguous to me. Okay. So that Everybody, one's denied. That one's you're not still, a super, though. You, you yeah, confirmed you're still, two you're supers and up. lost you're one. Still you're still way, way ahead by the numbers. You're you're way super ahead, is five times the value right. of no, one I, regular prediction. Yeah. Stakes are high as usual. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then finally, the last one we want to talk about here uh, is, uh, Michael, you predicted uh, just a couple episodes ago that Buffy has actually quit her job at the Double Meat Palace. This seems to not have happened. So uh, that one is denied as well. So with two supers confirmed and two non-supers denied, that leaves you uh, with an overall accuracy of 64.47. And... Uh, Wow, okay. Overall, right? Not a season accuracy. Yeah, that's your overall, but then your season accuracy has dropped, uh, actually dropped to 71.43, slightly dropped. That doesn't seem like the math should work on that, but uh, I trust the spreadsheet, I guess. Sure. Okay, I got new predictions, of course. I believe after watching this episode that prediction one, Jonathan will be the first member of the trio to confess to their crimes. I feel like this boy wants to squeal so bad, he would like to be relieved of the pressure of hiding. Oh my God. Can we just... Get him to confess. Uh, second, I guess the magic show is closed. It's going to reopen this season. It's coming back. These two are just easy predictions I thought I would do. There will be an X-Men reference. There will be a Star Trek reference. <laughs> um, and then those are two separate predictions. And then the super prediction, Anya returns next episode. We need to get this confrontation going, whatever this Anya thing is. And man, I don't know how this season's going to end, but it feels like, and I'm not predicting this, I'm just in my mind where this is going, 
I feel like Anya versus Willow versus um, Warren, all these characters need to like come into a confrontation somehow with Xander. I mean, it'd be great to just have a super battle, just resolve all this tension. Well, what is going to happen next? You're going to have to show up next week and find out. To Buffy Virgin, uh, where I've been your host, Dennis St. John. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at D-E-N-I-S-C-O-M-I-X, my .com as well, where you can find my books. I make monster comics, and I want to thank you one and all for listening and talking to us at Buffy Virgin. Don't forget to rate us and review us and subscribe. Give us comments. We love comments. You can watch us on YouTube. Our Twitter is at Buffy Virgin Pod and Instagram is Buffy Virgin. We'll see you in your dreams. (laughs) 